Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear friends, thanks again for joining us on this edition of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russon. I serve as the host, and basically, I kind of steer my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you today? So are you ready to be steered? I, I am ready to be steered. My brain needs steering. Oh, my it can goodness. go all over the place. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. And, and friends, if you joined us for the first time, we're right in the middle of chatting our way through Paul's epistle to the Colossians. Many believe, and we do too, that it's really the best epistle for highlighting the sufficiency and the preeminence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are in chapter two. And my friend, I want to pick up where we left off last time. We were talking in the end of verse eight. And so I want to pick up there and I want to capture one last thought before we launch into the passage that begins in verse nine. Reading verse eight again, again from the uh, English Standard Version, my newest favorite. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And that last phrase, my friends, where I'd like to focus, because as you and I were just chatting before we began this episode, our enemy can be so clever and so tricky and so brilliantly deceptive that it can be tough to take everything we hear and measure it according to Christ. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, we know this verse very well because we talk about it often, that we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. So my friend, this is a wrestle that, uh, as we've just discussed, we will never outgrow. It's taking the lies the enemy offers to us and stack them up against the truth of Jesus and then kicking them to the curb if they don't sound right. So I want to ask you, friend, why doesn't God stop sending the enemy to throw these <laughs> lies at us? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you know, that's because of who he is. And a leopard can't change his spots. You know, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said he has been a liar from the beginning, and he is the father of lies. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, he said he tries to deceive, if possible, even those of us who are sealed and complete and have eternal life in Christ. And he tries to lead us astray, even though that can't happen. But you know, John, this verse it is so important. We have a responsibility as believers. Look what it says. Don't let anyone carry you away. As you brought out, Jesus is preeminent. That's chapter one of Colossians. He is above all things. He's before all things. He created all things. All things are for him. He is the unbeginning beginning. He is God. And amazingly, in the new covenant economy, God came to live inside of us. And 
he says, don't let anyone carry you away from that. You know, John, in the book of Corinthians, as I listened to you read this verse, I was just hearing in my brain, the Jews rejected Jesus and therefore reject us because Jesus is a stumbling block to them. How could you have a crucified Messiah? The Messiah is supposed to be powerful and usher in a kingdom. And to the, the Gentile world, having a crucified God is, is foolishness. And Paul said, then I'm going to be a fool. <laughs> I'm going to keep with the simplicity that God became man and gave himself for me so that he could make me clean so that he could live in me. I'm going to keep with that simplistic message that is so profound it will take an eternity to even gain a semblance of its profoundness. And so in the world where people have these degrees and these uh, knowledgeable verbiages and their pride and their disdain and their slander against us, we can begin to feel foolish. We can begin to feel like maybe we're wrong. So Paul is saying, remember what you have. Remember who you have. Remember all that he is to you and does in you. And don't let anybody ever lead you away from him. And so very powerful. Very powerful indeed, my friend. And I was thinking about this focus, this uh, not according to Christ, you know, throwing away these lies and the way the enemy tries to trip us up. My mind goes back to 2 Corinthians 10, that verse I just quoted. And that begins, again, from the English Standard Version, we destroy arguments. And that doesn't mean it's a battle where we drop bombs and blow them away. In this context, it means we take them apart piece by piece. We dismantle them, which means that when we look closely at the temptations the enemy throws in front of us, the mind of Christ can dissemble them for us and we can see through the smokescreen right to the heart of the lie. And we mm. can then choose to reject it. My friend, Frank, we can do exactly what Paul writes about in Galatians chapter five, where the flesh wars against the spirit, but the spirit doesn't war back. It just says, no, that's a lie. I reject it. Mm. And so you remember the words... Our, our dear friend Malcolm Smith, a friend of the ministry, said many years ago, just because a, a thought pops into your head doesn't mm. mean you have to let it make its nest, make its home there. You know, We are to mm. examine every single thought that mm. comes into our head, just like we go to a lumberyard and we throw off the crooked ones and we buy only the ones that are straight. And so and this whole passage, as I read through this, Frank, in Colossians chapter 2, is why we are equipped to do that because in us is the person who is the fullness of deity. And we're going to unpack from here on just the, the resume of who we are as believers. But Frank, it's just absolutely incredible of what he has given to us and will do through us because he lives in us. There's really no place in such a life for willingly choosing to sin because we have been given wisdom and understanding so we can choose to say yes sir i trust you even when i don't understand i still choose to trust you wow that's i just get goosebumps when i think about how empowered our savior has made us for my friend mm -hmm. yeah john listening to you right now you've really 
put the emphasis where it needs to be. And that is that we have the life. We have the life of Christ. If you, you look at these verses, it says not according to Christ. We don't want to go anywhere else but to him. Because in him dwells the fullness of God. And in him we are made full. In verse 11, and in whom and buried with him. John, this is what sets apart Christianity. Religion all has their books. And we all hold up our books and we go, my book says this. And the other person says, well, my book says that. And we argue a book. Christianity is so very, very different. Our book, the knowledge, the truth, the revelation, culminates not in the knowledge of the truth and the revelation, but in an experience of a person. And this is what sets us apart. It's, that's why the whole book of James was written. We show our faith in our works. We, we live this life that is so very different. Peter said, there's a reason when people ask us of our hope, it's because they see our life. This is boiling down all of the doctrine, all of the dogma, all of the debate to the reality uh, that every one of us has in Christ. It's, we know him. We, and this is so foreign to, you know, every education system in the world. Uh, we read a book to know what's in the book. You read a chemistry and a math and a history to know what was in the book. But in Christianity, we read the book God gave to know the author and to know him intimately and experience him powerfully. And that's why Paul is saying, you know, the world may make you feel foolish and they may make you feel like a simpleton, like you don't know anything or that you would actually believe such a thing as God becoming man. And in the feeling of foolishness, you could be carried away. But he's saying, not in our case, because we know we don't just know in our head. We know by experience. That's We've right. experienced God. Yeah. And, you know, Frank, as all of us face the challenges in a fallen world where we'll be called idiots and foolish and gullible and, uh, you know, we need the crutch of religion to get us through life. Beginning in verse 9, Paul unpacks for us, my friend, basically why we can be so confident. It's kind of like our resume. You know, this is, this is how he recreated us when we were born again. And I want to begin by reading that in verse nine, you've already alluded to that. For in him, in Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. I know what the words translate to be, that the very essence of God, if you can even say that phrase, somehow was concentrated down into a visible and touchable form. So I know what the words mean, but Frank, what do they really mean? That the, <laughs> the fullness of deity would stand before the apostles and live inside us. Okay, my friend, I answered the easy part. <laughs> the hard part's yours. What does that really mean? Oh, my goodness. You have a couple of hours? <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got about 17 more minutes. So concise well, um, it up. 
I'll do it as quickly as I can and hopefully as concise yet complete as I can. In order to really get it, we've got to go back to the beginning. Let us make man in our image. And we see that God revealed himself as an us, as a plurality. And that then caused us to look to the rest of scripture where we learn in the rest of scripture that there is one God, one God only. We're not polytheists, but he exists in three persons, a father, a son, and a Holy Spirit, all sharing the nature of God, yet three different persons. So God in his essence is relationship. God in his essence, First John 4, is love. And so within the Trinity, there was this dynamic relationship of love. And God said, let's create others to share in this love. And so we were made in his image, like God, but not God. So we could partake of God in this incredible relational love. Of course, man chose to rebel, bought the lie, as we've been talking about, that he could be God, function independent of God, and he entered into death. And man and God are now separated. Now, John, here's the key. When God set up the world, he set it up for man to be the vice regent, to have dominion and rule. And God will never violate that rule. In Psalm 8, he handed him the keys of this earthly kingdom. When Adam sinned, he turned those keys over to Satan. And the enemy has had free reign. We've got to get man back where he was created to be, back in fellowship with God and back as the co-regent ruler over this world. Well, since God designed a man was to rule and man gave it away, man blew it. It's going to take a man to take it back. That's why it's so important to understand that Jesus Christ was not just someone who had the spirit of God upon him. He was God who became man. God could not violate his prescribed order that he had set up. It had to be a man. But who do you find? In the book of Revelation, it talks about the seals. And the seals are God's plan, purpose, provision. When man blew it, those scrolls were sealed. And in Revelation 5, it talks about we have to find someone who can open the seals. But here's the unique phraseology. He doesn't say we need to find someone strong enough to open the seals. We have to find someone worthy. Well, on this planet, there's no one worthy. We can go to heaven and there's worthy, but they're not man. So God had to become man. And that's the uniqueness of our faith. You know, everybody at Christmas gets all enamored with the baby. It's not the issue. <laughs> the issue is God dwelling in that baby, functioning in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, never losing his deity, but becoming man. So as man, he could take back the kingdom and we could then live in the kingdom as God had preordained. 
Now that's the best I can do in a wow. short amount of time. <laughs> wow. That's pretty powerful. And you know, Frank, relating this back to what we've been talking about in the taking our thoughts captive and holding everything up according to Christ, this is how we can do that because Christ himself lives inside of us. You know, the whole fullness of deity now is inside of us. Not that we can function independently of it, but that we can bring every one of those resources online when we need it. So mm. we can spot the nonsense and we can choose to say, yes, sir. Even in a circumstance where we've said no thanks a million times already, we are always free and able to choose differently and to choose life. Wow. Mm. Good summary, my friend. I'm going to put you on the spot for the next one now. Okay. <laughs> Verse 10, and I love that word, almost as if the fullness of God in a body isn't enough. And what a great word. And you are completely filled in him. So this fullness of God is now inside of you. It's not a piece, Frank. I think of a huge scoop stuck down into the flower barrel and you pick it up and it's every corner is packed and it's heaping up at the top and spilling over the sides, filled to the top, not wanting in anything. Wow. Frank, so how does this level of abundance of Christ's life in us, how should it affect how we live, how we think, how we choose? What does this mean to our daily walk, my friend? John, there's two things I think we need to stress. One is that we need to come at this doctrinally or theologically or foundationally. And then second, applicationally or practically. First, we need to understand that we're entering into mystery here. We're entering into something that our minds can never fully grasp, though we can learn it and know it. God is infinite, and yet infinite is going to be put into finite. That's us. We can understand that and teach it and believe it, and yet we can never understand it. Infinite can't go into finite. It will blow it finite apart. And yet this is the great truth. As Peter calls it, we become a partaker of the divine nature. God is in us. And if you've got God, as Colossians says, Christ is all. So we have everything. In Ephesians 1, we have every spiritual blessings. We can't get any more. And yet in Ephesians 1, Paul makes this incredible statement that the Holy Spirit, which lives in us, God lives in us, is a down payment. Well, whenever there's a down payment, John, it's always a promise of more to come. Well, how can you get more when you already have God? You have it all. In my understanding, the only explanation is that he's an infinite God and will never exhaust him. So our life is going to be one, constant provision, and yet constant wonder, and then constant praise in terms of application. We have all we need. And that's why Philippians says Christ will meet all your needs. Doesn't necessarily meet our wants or our desires, but all our needs. And I think sometimes, John, for almost all of us, there's a 
believing unbelief. What I mean by that is it manifests itself in our prayer. We'll have the circumstances of life come along and we say something like this. Lord, I need strength. Or Lord, give me strength. Lord, I need your mercy. Father, I need your presence. John, do you realize those are all prayers that God will never answer? Yeah, he already has. <laughs> That's right. He already has. Yeah, for us, it's like trying to get into a room that we're already in. It's a journey we'll never arrive at because we're already there. And so we need to start walking by faith and saying, Lord, I feel like I don't have strength, but the truth is I do. I feel like I'm far from you, and yet I can never be away from you, and you can never be away from me. So we need to start living according to our beliefs and praying according to our beliefs because, you know, John, as we talked about earlier, those prayers are proof that we are subtly buying the lie of the enemy, um, that we need more than what we already have. Yes. That he's separate from us and we have to invite him in or ask for more of what he's already given us. Mm. My goodness. You know, my friend, as I look at all this completely filled in him. And then I go to the very next phrase. I, I can't help but jump ahead and say, well, who completely fills us? And this is, again, Jesus Christ, who was the head, the supreme, the chief, the preeminent of all rule and authority throughout the universe. And before I, I turn this over to you, I want to make sure our, our listeners understand that we're still talking here in the context of verse eight, where Paul tells the folks there, because they're wrestling with false teaching, we'll see later it's angel worship and all kinds of things. He says, hey, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, because you don't have to be tricked because the ultimate authority of the universe lives inside of you. Mm. And so you don't have to fall victim to the lies, the temptations, because the most practical application in the context of this that I can see in, when we talk about struggling in our lives is we have authority over every temptation that comes into our path. Those cleverly crafted lies the enemy places there, tailored just for us, we have the authority to see through the smokescreen and say, be gone. That's nonsense, mm. man. And this is life-changing, my friend. And when you want to think about how much authority and power he has, you know, we talked about this back in chapter one, when I geeked out over the universe, if we turned all the stars into grains of sand and we put them all in a pile, the pile would be miles long and miles wide and miles high. And Father spoke all those into existence. But when it came down to me, he didn't speak me into existence, Frank. He crafted me. Mm. That's how much he cares about me. And that's the intimate relationship that he created me to enjoy with him. And now this authority, this rule, this power is living inside of me so I can say no to sin mm. and yes to him. Wow. I just think about this, man. I just blown away, my friend. I just blown mm. away. Yeah, John, this is a passage from scripture that we can and really should meditate on just all the time. 
so that we don't get led away, so that we don't let anyone have authority over us, try to shame us into doing something contrary to who we are, or, or exercise a will over our lives and take us where we really don't want to go. We have the power to live in freedom. And that's just not freedom from, it's freedom to, it's freedom to Christ, freedom to be what we were created to be, free to function the way we were designed to function in holiness and love and, and mercy and kindness. Um, because we already have all we need, John. I had this hymn pop into my brain. Do you remember it? More love, more power. Oh, yeah. More of you in my life. That's heresy. Stop that. You already have all those things. And John, when I look at those verses and when I was listening to you, he's the head of all. And he is the one who has ultimate authority. You know, there's an amazing contrast in the New Testament. You have the Apostle John. He's known as the one who Jesus loved. He's the one who lays on the breast of the earthly Jesus. He's the one apostle who's there at the cross. And we get this picture of such intimacy and love. And that's good. That's as it should be. It's what we were designed for, to live within the loving dance of the Trinity. And yet, this is where we have to teach the counsel of God. In the book of Revelation, when John sees the glorified Jesus, he says out of his own mouth, I fell to my feet as a dead man. This is the same man who laid on the breast of the earthly Jesus. And John, I think what Colossians is trying to tell us is that he's not the earthly Jesus anymore. <laughs> and we need a picture of who he really is so that we would receive him as he really is. You know, when we get a picture of his throne in, in Revelation 4 and 5, it's jasper, it's crystal, it's this crystal white, which is holiness, and, and red, it might be sardis, which speaks of, uh, of judgment and condemnation that, against anything that's not holy. And, and when you get this picture of who Jesus really is, there's a sense in all of us that we should be in awe. But then around it is the rainbow, the thought that this same God who's got a chasm between us and himself, he is creator, we are created, has made a covenant with us to so live in intimacy with him that he would actually live in us. And that, John, should stun our hearts and our minds for the rest of our lives yes, and cause us to worship him like no one else can worship. Indeed. My goodness. My friend, I want to throw one last thought out there. Then we'll wrap this up. Listening to you talk about this, how much more there is of our savior than, than most of us ever really recognize. 
I visited a church a few weeks ago, went to a Sunday school class where they were talking about, of all epistles, the epistle to the Ephesians. And they were talking about all these truths about our identity. But there was no energy, no life, no excitement. It's almost as if it weren't real. And then I just saw the reason is that the, their salvation stopped at the cross, death for our sins, and they missed the glorious truth in Romans chapter five, where there is much more, <laughs> much yeah. more. And Frankie, that's what you just talked about, Frank. You just lifted the lid on the much more. And that's kind of what Colossians is, is trying to tell these dear uh, struggling saints, hey, there is much more than you know. And mm. so you need to know so you can tap into it. Wow. Okay, my mm. friend, wrap us up and then I'll sign us off. Well, John, Ephesians 1, the resurrection, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me, is in us. And we can live in the power of a resurrected life. And my goodness, we worship him. Amen. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We don't understand what you did, sir, but we worship you. Well, my friends, you've caught Frank and me in the middle of just a, a tearful, worshipful moment. So thank you for allowing us to be vulnerable in front of you on this episode of our podcast. And if Father has ministered to you today in any way, we trust he has, please do us the honor of, of letting us know that, letting us know how he's, he's impacted your thinking in your life today. Check out our website. We've got a bunch of articles and devotionals and eBooks there, newsletters, uh, books, all centered on the much more of Jesus, that he is our very life. And don't forget to follow us on every one of our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, on Instagram, our own little YouTube channel. So uh, hit like, ring the bell, and subscribe so you won't miss any of the new installments. And once again, we humbly ask for your prayers and your support, because none of this happens without Christ working through you toward us. So we ask you to mm. prayerfully consider all of that. And as always, Frank and I close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter six, that we do have a hope that's an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. We call it a resolute hope. That hope is a person, Jesus Christ. So today and always choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.